Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. I mean, as you're writing your book, you are discovering your ability to write and express. Yes. But you don't know that until you start to write the book. Totally. And then you write the book or you do whatever it is. You go to a new job, you go on a date, you start a relationship, you're pregnant, you're buying a new home, you're investing something. Everything is going to have trepidation. Everything is going to have, oh my God, am I going to be able to finish this book? Publish the book, oh my God, are people going to read it? But the book is just a metaphor of everything else. And then it's the dance of uh, making it happen and letting it happen. Hey U-Turners, it's Ash here and I am bringing you this week such a gift and it is my friend Agapi Stasinopoulos. She's a best-selling author, a speaker, and she inspires audiences all around the world and she especially inspires me. In her previous book, Unbinding the Heart, A Dose of Greek Wisdom, Generosity, and Unconditional Love, she shares the wisdom from her life's adventures, experiences, and in her new book, which I want to talk about today, Wake Up to the Joy of You, 52 Meditations and Practices for a Calmer, Happier Life. She takes readers on such an incredible journey to inspire them and let them go whatever is not working for them. Her name, Agapi, uh, it means love in Greek, which is just a fun fact about her. And um, she's currently conducting workshops for Thrive Global, which is a company founded by her sister, Ariana Huffington, uh, to help change the way that we all work and we all live. And she's spoken on conducted meditations at many organizations. The list is really long because she has made such an impact. Agapi, uh, I'm so honored to have you here today to help us learn how to be more bold in this episode. Ah, I love that. I love that. You're such a treat, and I feel like you have so much life experience. So I wanted to start with what you're feeling really connected to right now, and I know you have a quote from Emerson in front of you. First of all, I just want to say how much I love you Mm. and how much I cherish who you are and your authenticity. And you are one of the most uh, present people I have met. You, uh, when we had dinner together in LA at uh, the Pacific Center, Pacific Palisade Center, Mm -hmm. and the three of us with another dear friend, we had dinner. There was such a joy because uh, you were just picking up of how I was interacting with the waiter 
who was basically a beginner, remember that? Yeah. And I was so sweet with him, and I kept saying, okay, so you don't have that? Okay, do you have that? Oh, no, you don't have that. Okay, no problem. What about making me a little salad and just putting a, a few little letters on the plate? And, uh, and you were cracking up, and I, I remember I said, I think she's picking up on this joy yeah. that's present. And there was a lot of joy that day mm-hmm. with all of us. And, uh, you know, you know, you know what do we do? So many times, you know, life happens in the moment, actually. Yeah. Uh, but we mostly live in the projected future, mm-hmm. which and a lot of that projected future has worry on it. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't it? It's, it's like, and now you're going to cross the river. Mm-hmm. Would you like the boat of worry or would you like the boat of anxiety or would you like the boat <laughs> of fear? I mean, here's your choices. Yeah, pick your boat. And then pick your boat. And then you cross the river and everything goes amazing. The, mm-hmm. the, the sea is calm. On the other side, there are people, you know, waiting for you. And, and you go, why the hell did I worry so much? Why did yeah. I pick up that boat? Mm-hmm. And I think we miss the boat that is actually right in front of us. Right in front of us, there is a little boat that's called Centered, Calm, Content, and Trusting. Mm. Centered, Calm, Content, and Trusting. And that is really a pyramid that I call I call it the divine pyramid, the pyramid that we can build it's a force field, actually. It's a mm-hmm. force field. and it, But we are so used to looking left and right that we miss that presence. And we think if we keep doing and we keep going or we keep doing the next thing and the next thing like we all of us do, we will you know, get more done. We will be happier. We will feel more, more accomplished. And in the process we miss the greatest gift of our life. Yes. Well, you know, Agapi, there's something about, you know, I love that you talk about joy because what I'm learning, you know, is just this distinction between happiness and joy. Like there's some people who feel happiness, but it feels so fleeting. And I've been so interested the past decade around what is it that makes somebody joy because it's such a state of being. And usually I find myself in it. Like this is, this is my default setting. And I know that you do too. So I'm curious with you, like a lot of people, at least this is my experience of you. You feel like home for me. And whenever I'm around you, you, you create warmth and comfort and connection and understanding. And, um, and I, I'm curious, is that the experience that most people give you feedback they have of you? Um, how do you create this for other people? Because your being is so healing for people. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much, sweetheart. Well, I do feel that, um, that, in, that is my nature. That is the, the warmth of my heart is mm-hmm. what I came up to in this life to open up to, you know, that's when I wrote the book Unbinding the Heart. And um, it, it didn't come, it came by birth, but then like all of us, you know, we, we are who we are in birth and it's pretty complete and wholesome. And then we become grownups yeah. <laughs> and we lose so much of our openness and our warmth and our wisdom. Mm. And so part of, the blessing that I had in my life was my mother yeah, who encouraged me and my sister Ariana to be very unique, to be 
very individual, never compared us to each other. And she actually is extraordinary. Um, my mother, you know, was a very uh, enlightened Greek, I call her an enlightened Greek woman that had a lot of um, a difficult journey with my father and a lot of stuff in her life. But because she loved me and Ariana so deeply, and it was almost like that was her vocation, she assisted both of us to flourish into who we were. Mm. And she used to say to me, you are here for the joy. You're Like I was nine, you know, 10, and I was lousy at school. I was lousy at math. I was lousy. <laughs> I hated school. Mm -hmm. I kind of, every day I prayed that my math teacher would die, mm. you know, <laughs> as, if, as if they couldn't replace him. <laughs> oh, you you're know. so good. And, uh, I just don't have that kind of, um, of brain, you know, there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, there was my sister who was so brilliant at math and algebra and economics. And my mother always used to say, darling, we didn't bring you here for math. We brought you here for the joy. Mm -hmm. So later on, you know, I went to the Royal Academy and I studied acting. Uh, I got into drama, the best drama school in the world where Anthony Hopkins and... Um, Richard Burton and, um, I mean, Helen Mirren and, you know, you name it. Uh, Alan Rickman, who was a good friend as well, went. And uh, then my journey uh, really began when I went back to Los Angeles at the age of 23 to do a movie. I was cast in a movie through a connection of my sister. I arrived in L.A. I was treated like a star. And... Three months later, the movie fell through. And I made this life decision, which I wrote about in Unbinding the Heart, which was a, my calling to then stay in L.A. as a young girl, no money, lots and lots of friends, because I always had tons of friends taking care of me and me taking care of them. And I found that that was what... Um, Will I am from the Black Eyed Peas calls. I don't know, you know Will I am from yeah. Black Eyed Peas. Mm -hmm. He has this phrase that I want to share with our wonderful listeners. He said, "Find your currency. What is your currency? And your currency is not money. Your currency is your God-given gift. Mm -hmm. So find your currency, and that's your wealth. His currency, Will I am, he said, was creativity." Mm -hmm. So in the midst of poverty, because he was raised very poor and all the rich kids at school, he started to rap. He started to rap about his less lesser watch. People then had a more expensive watch. And the rapping got him the attention and the recognition and the what he really wanted, which was to express his creativity. Mm -hmm. For me, my currency was my warm, loving heart. Yes. Now, I didn't know that until later in my life because like the rest of us, I had embedded in me that that was not enough. That, you know, if you're not a successful actress and, you know, getting the big parts in Hollywood, if you don't have the love of your life who loves you and adores you, if you don't have the perfect looks, if you don't have the perfect whatever, image, image, then... I kept identifying um, erroneously with the outer. Mm -hmm. And I had to backtrack. You know, it's like I had to 
get back of that abyss that I had created for myself and through my spiritual teacher that I met in Los Angeles, John Roger. Mm-hmm. The, and there's an amazing center there, actually, that I think uh, I mentioned to you last time. It's called the Peace Labyrinth and Awareness Meditation Gardens. Mm-hmm. And they're on Crenshaw and Adams, and it's an amazing oasis in the middle of LA uh, with a labyrinth and, and gardens. But it's, there is a, a vortex of spiritual energy there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that... Uh, teacher John Roger uh, was extraordinary. He passed two years ago, and those teachings uh, he created the movement of spiritual inner awareness were about loving the sound and the currency of the God energy, the spirit, um, the universal energy, and um, and about opening the heart. Ah. So as I went to seminars, as I went to my path. I realized that there was pain underneath that. And, there was, and that was what I call the shutting of my heart, was that the pain was the pain I embodied with my parents because I saw their pain. My dad was a concentration camp survivor. Mm. My mom fought the Second World War. They met, they fell in love. But my dad was a very um, wounded man in his psyche. Mm-hmm. So... I took a lot of that pain. I took a lot of responsibility to help him heal, which was impossible. And then he ended up, you know, having affairs and 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 having, um, you know, gambling or drinking or whatever. And he kind of broke my mother's heart. Although I don't believe anybody can break your heart, but my my mother ended up having pain, which I then internalized. So yeah. I had to let go. And I'm talking to your listeners because. I, all of us as children, we take on our parents' pain. Would you agree that so? 100%. I mean, I I feel like with my dad losing his, his home when I was a little kid, it was like ever since I've been an adult, it's like my biggest wish has been to buy a home. And I think it's just felt like this karmic loop of watching my dad lose our home when we were, when I was a little girl and wanting to provide that for a family in a way where they never have to worry about the thing I worried about the most, which was the roof over my head. So amazing. Yeah. I I think all of us have, and and I I love that you said you can't really break your heart because the heart is so resilient and, you know, maybe it's a bruise at best um, that heals. But, you know, I was also just listening to you talk about your mom. And one of my favorite things you had mentioned to me before in the past when we were sitting down and talking was how much your mom taught you to try life. And I remember that I actually interviewed your sister, I think it was years ago. And I I think it was for Forbes, I think when her book was coming out. Um, And I remember I asked her, what's your favorite quote? And it was Rumi's quote about acting, living as if life is rigged in your favor. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And Uh, I, I see that on you. So tell us a little bit more about like how you've been able to, to do this with your heart. So once I started to heal that all, it was almost like, I call it cleaning the debris of your childhood, you know, and I have uh, a chapter in the book called um, Overcoming Your Childhood. Hmm. And uh, and overcoming your childhood is a very, I mean, if we want to upgrade ourselves to now, to today, which is very important, and we have to look at our childhood, forgive it, Look what we embody that's not ours, you know, the limiting beliefs that 
uh, we embodied. I mean, for me, there were a lot of good things that I embodied because my mother, I mean, she was so abundant uh, and so free of uh, hierarchy. You know, she didn't have, oh, well, you are the CEO, the the Lord and Lady, because we were um, studied in England of, of the Hamptons or the whatever. And my mother would not be effaced whether you were the janitor, the plumber, mm-hmm. uh, or uh, the, the member of parliament. To her, people were people. So I was raised with incredible... So people can always say to me, my God, you walk in a room and you're so fearless. You are. You walk in a room and you can talk to anybody. I said, yes, because I look at people and I just see the oneness. I go, oh my God, they're like, they're like, just like me or, you know, yeah. I don't see, I mean, the, the only things that I might, I might feel, well, they're so shut down, but um, I have learned to also allow them the luxury of where they are, you know, so, Mm, that's really so powerful. Good. What you said is for everybody. I just want to pause on that is, you know, it reminds me of USM. So those of you who have been listening to me, which I know, you know, I've gone to University of Santa Monica. So has Agape. And it's this concept of never robbing somebody the dignity of their process. And I, I love how you just said that Agape, which is the idea of allowing someone the luxury of being where they are. That is so profound. Yes. And, and I was writing a quote the other day that said, if I take someone else's suffering, if I'm an empath, which I am, mm-hmm. if I take on someone else's problem or the despair, let's say, you know, you can go somewhere and feel people's despairing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so many places on this earth at the moment, you can look at the news. I then, I'm not really helping them. I'm rush, I now have, <laughs> they have their despair <laughs> and I have it too, <laughs> mm. you know, so now it makes the two of us. I you cannot help someone by really, you can hold a space mm-hmm. of, of neutrality, of, of loving, of compassion. But for me, the catalytic point was, I think, I mean, it was a progression of things. I would look at myself as a seed that then was about to blossom into uh, a cherry blossom tree, let's say, you know, mm-hmm. and then have my orchard. So, how I kept blossoming was um, by, this is kind of extraordinary, actually, if you think about it. I kept blossoming by the world not giving me anything that I thought I wanted. Mm. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Tell me more about this. <laughs> you, when, I, when I look back, it was like a joke. Yeah. It was like, I would go for auditions and I would not get the parts. I would raise money to produce a miniseries on Greek mythology and it will never happen. I will spend three years producing the biography of Maria Callas, my sister's book on the Greek opera singer, uh, Maria Callas, and it will keep falling apart till it completely fell apart. Mm -hmm. So that never happened. I would... uh, it was like I kept going after things and the things I was going were external and a lot of pain. I mean, I'm now saying it and I'm smiling and laughing because of course yeah, I'm on the, easier I'm on now. the other side. Totally, <laughs> totally. And then the man, the disaster of my relationships, I mean, I would be attracted to the man who uh, basically could not fulfill my 
expectations or relationship. Mm -hmm. I would have men who wanted so badly to be with me, but I didn't want anything to do with them. Mm -hmm. So there was this constant um, uh, mismatch of uh, the other the other sex and the relationship. Very little money, a lot of struggles with finances um, was taken care of, um, you know, either by my sister or I would do a little something and I ended up having a catering business at some point. <laughs> 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 Cooking Greek food, you know. And, uh, and then one day I ended up not getting a part that I wanted in a Greek um, six-hour adaptation of Greek plays at Williamstown outside New York. And um, theater, and I ended up being so down and depressed and unhappy that I went in a in a New York City bus. I was living in New York then, and um, decided to talk to the woman next to me, who happened to be a nurse who used to be an actress, and she was a single mom. And we talked about our love for theater, and she, I told her that I'm an actress who basically doesn't get any parts, and. Uh, and very talented, by the way, I have to tell you. I mean, you don't go to RADA finishing with honors, not being talented. So yeah. that was the irony of it. And of course, that's okay now because you realize that um, tremendous amount of artists and, and amazing teachers around the history were often not recognized. So recognition has very little to do with talent. I mean, you can be talented and not be recognized, and you could be talented and be recognized, but one doesn't mean the, the other. You, yes. know, you can be recognized and be not talented. So I find that in the influencer space, I think there's a lot of people that are very talented. They have content out there that really moves people, and then there's a lot of people who simply learned how to get somebody to click the follow button, you know? And, exactly. And I think that people have to start seeing through this illusion, and it's not about um, being pessimistic. It's just about um, not putting somebody on a pedestal, you know, no matter exactly. what. And, you know, one of the things that you talk about in your book that I just loved was that moment that you had where in acting you had this big moment and you were with Anthony Hopkins and he was so supportive and you know feeling that you were having a big moment and he said to you remember Agapi always be bold and mighty forces will come your way and yes exactly so powerful and that, and that was when he was playing surviving Picasso based on my sister's book I did by the way I wanted to tell the listeners I did yeah, yeah. get little parts here and there <laughs> so I wasn't like I mean I wasn't not getting anything. I would get little parts and I did get what I thought was a great role in surviving Picasso, which was the housekeeper. But believe me, I thought I was the star mm -hmm. because uh, it was the the French housekeeper of Picasso and I went to London at the Pinewood Studios and filmed with him and he was amazing. He was absolutely a, a tour de force to work with and such a kind man. And I was nervous as hell as we were filming the first scene. And uh, and uh, he kept making dialogue to make me feel relaxed. And then he turned to me. I think we were at his uh, dressing room. And she said, remember, Agape, be bold, be bold, and mighty forces will come to your aid. <laughs> <laughs> and he had this bravado, you know, this confidence. And he was amazing. And. I think boldness to inspire um, our listeners at that moment in the New York City bus to come back to that was very bold because I ended up performing Joan of Arc uh, by Bernard Shaw to this woman in the bus 
And uh, I then ended up uh, getting a, it was, a you know, Joan of Arc is about to be burned at the stake. So it's very gutsy and fierce and a big uh, monologue. And this woman cried and the whole bus basically woke up because, you know, as you know, buses are, people are way more depressed than you if you ever go to a bus. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, that woman was very bold because she turned to me, she held my hand and she said, my dear girl, don't wait anyone to hire you uh, because you have it. You're so talented. Go do your own thing. Mm. And, you know, Ashley, that was the moment that changed my life. Mm. To go do your own thing. I then, uh, it took me, you know, quite a little while to find out my thing was, but I had this epiphany, this inspiration, which was also extremely bold, to take all my favorite monologues from Bernard Shaw, from the Greeks, from Shakespeare, from uh, Tennessee Williams, and put them together and do a one-woman show based on Greek mythology, on the seven Greek archetypes, the seven goddesses, and call it Conversations with the Goddesses. And that show, I put it together. I launched it in Santa Barbara in Montecito. My mother was then alive, and she made Greek food for everybody. My best friend was a designer, and he decorated the gallery like a Greek temple. Uh, We had Greek music playing. It was phenomenal. I had about 150 people who showed up, and everybody was floored. And it was pure, authentic agape. Mm. So what happened, I started to get that that's what I was supposed to do, to bring Agape's spark, creativity out, and not the Maria Callas project, and not the $6 million BBC series, and not the big parts in Hollywood or Broadway. It was who is Agape as a creative being. Mm. And that, my friend, takes boldness. Yes. Because when nobody's giving you permission to say, hey, girl, why don't I hire you to do a one-woman show? But you tell yourself, Agape, I'm hiring you. I'm hiring everybody. I am proactive. I am taking the first step. And, and, And then there were many, many steps after that because the show kept growing. And then I ended up doing, uh, and then everything started coming to me. Beautiful. I was asked to write a book about the goddesses, conversation with the goddesses. I was asked to do a PBS special, which again, it was a labor of love, which never got success and recognition. It was brilliant. It was amazing. But again, once again, the world wasn't saying, listen, it's successful because you did it. And because whoever uh, saw it loved it and was moved and it changed people's lives. And it was not successful in terms of, uh, you know, um, tell me a famous series uh, on TV or something, you know, Roots or or whatever you want to say that was um, truly successful as a PBS special, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or, or whatever consists these days of success. So... I had um, a chapter in the book uh, called Redefining Success because that was also uh, an extraordinary moment. You know, when we go after the, you see, the the thing that I want to convey to our listeners is that you got to wake up every morning and say, hey, it's me, my soul, my source, and my physical, emotional 
spiritual self and put them all together, kind of combine them together and say, I'm never alone. I call it God is my partner. I have a chapter about that in the book and what that means. And somebody said to me, what do you mean by God? And I said, your breath, your next breath, mm-hmm. your aliveness, your 37 trillion cells that are making you, because if you think you are just an Ashley and I'm just an Agape and you are the listeners and you have a name and a last name and a bank account and a, and a family and, and a job and you think you are that, well, we're not. We're we so are that more. in this world, but we've got to learn how do we go into the unknown part of us mm-hmm. and and that actually takes courage and that takes boldness and that takes i will stand by you my friend to say to yourself mm-hmm. and i will walk this path even if i don't know what's in the next step well and on that note there's four different keys you give in your book wake up to the joy of you to confidence and what i would say boldness and one of them is really just knowing that you're not alone and so even though you kind of speak in this sense of like really knowing who you are, whether other people see it or not. And I've had that experience with my book. Like my book is my, my soul on a page. It's, it's work that I've always wanted to do. It's everything in my heart on the pages and kind of realizing like, yes, of course I wanted to hit the New York times list or whatever those things are that are for my career. But deep down, it's like knowing that I'm a great writer, whether people buy the book or not. And I think there's a level of solitude to being able to know what you are so can you tell us a little bit about affirming that you're not alone as you're, as anyone who's listening right now is on their journey to confidence? Yes. So first of all, you know, chapter, chapter 29, you know, find your confidence and be bold. And uh, the quote in this chapter is, a ship is safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are, are made for. And I love that. Yeah, I love it. So it's just really this whole thing that everybody says, you know, move out of your comfort zone if you want to know yourself. So affirm that you're not alone. You have to go to have your back. You have got to have your back within yourself, 100%. So you get back, and this is a tip in, in the chapter which I'm reading to everyone. Get back to connecting with your inner power. Okay, so there are three ways to know you're not alone. You can reach within and grab hold of your core. You can reach out and ask for help outward, meaning your friends, your you know colleagues, people that you trust, and you can reach out to others and offer help. So many times you say to people, if you can't get your own thing, help someone else get theirs, mm-hmm. and that you start to feel empowered mm-hmm. because we've all got it. But, um, you know, it's really, think of the metaphor of um, your muscles. I mean, we all have biceps, right? But some of them are more, de- some people have developed them. <laughs> and some people are, are still flabby. Mm-hmm. We all have abs, but some people have developed them and some people are flabby. So the inner power is really like an inner a muscle. The only way you're going to know your confidence is by taking the steps, by doing the actions, by extending your energy, and then on the way you find your confidence. I mean, confidence um, is not something that's, you know, and you're, and you're given, 
your confidence in birth. It doesn't work that way, as you know. I mean, as you're writing your book, you are discovering your ability to write and express. Yes. But you don't know that until you start to write the book. Totally. And then, and then you, you, you write the book or you do whatever it is. You, do. you go to a new job, you go on a date, you start a relationship, you're pregnant, um, you're buying a new home, you're investing something. Everything is going to have trepidations. Everything is going to have, oh my God, am I going to be able to finish this book? You publish the book. Oh my God, are people going to read it? Yeah, so many steps um, in your emotions. So many steps, but the book is just a metaphor of of everything else. And then it's the dance of uh, make, making it happen and letting it happen. Love that. So, you know, it's a dance. You go out and you you call everybody and you say, hey, you know, buy my book or... or uh, or, you know, I have this new product. I'm doing this project. I want you all to come. I'm, I'm building a, a wellness center. Or, and, and you do 100% of your energy because you are God in action. You are, you are spirit in action. Let's put it this way. And you, you have that dynamic energy in you. So go to watch your thinking. Yeah. Uh, are you with me? Yeah. Go to watch your thinking because the thinking, and that's why it's important to keep a journal mm -hmm. because you got to start writing all your positive attributes, all your positive things, all the times that you have felt grounded, successful, uh, intentional, purposeful. And, and the part that wavers could be your nine year old, your 16 year old, your, an old part of yourself. It could be your inner father, your inner mother. It could be your inner critic. Watch your inner critic. Because I have learned the most powerful thing you can do is tell yourself 24-7, I'm with you, Agape. I love you. I yes. respect you. I admire you. I am with you. What can I do for you? The most loving thing you can do to yourself is when you feel, you've got to become a master of your energy. I love that chapter in the book, uh, Mastering Your Energy. You know, um, and, and how you become a master of your energy is called Managing Your Energy, chapter 21. You check in, Ashley. Yeah. And you check in and you go, how are you doing, sweetheart? Yeah. And you go, you know, I'm not comfortable with this, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not comfortable with this action, this decision. I'm going to this happening tonight, and I'm not comfortable going there. Okay, let's talk about it. Like you would talk to the best friend, to a little girl, to a little boy. Like you, you take yourself and all your feelings into account. You don't do a spiritual bypass. Hey U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I wanna make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Career Clarity Lab, the online course to help you find your career purpose in the workforce and upgrade your confidence. So if you're ready to unlock the best career path for you and you'd like to try a free version of our Clarity course, just head on over to U-Turn slash Clarity. That's Y-O-U, 
turnpodcast.com slash clarity. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I love what you're saying because I think a lot of people are on this autopilot and we don't check in with ourselves and we don't stop. And and that's what I love about journaling is that when you just start writing free flow, it's like so much comes out of you that you didn't even know was on your mind. And I know another concept that you talk about with keys to confidence on top of not of knowing that you're not alone is having radical acceptance. So you talk about appreciating um, all of these different things about you. What are some suggestions that you would have for anybody listening who wants to start appreciating themselves and moving into that sort of radical self-acceptance? You know, it's very important to, um, you know, allow people to love us. Mm. Because sometimes we can't really love ourselves. You know, I, I want to tell our listeners, before we started recording this, Ashley completely showered me with her appreciation. It was so natural. It wasn't mm. a compliment. It was like, Agape, I love what you do. I love how you show up. I love your humor, your joy. She was just, and I'm so excited to be in conversation with you. I turned to her and I said, Ashley, I just love you. I love everything you do, everything you are. I love being in your presence. And it was something that was not being recorded. We were not doing it for show. We were just opening our hearts to each other. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, Ashley, I can't, I mean, I, I can't love and accept myself because the inner critic would come in and say, well, that should have been done differently. You know, last night, you st- I mean, last night, you know, I have this habit. I wake up, I, I stay up too late at night because I'm so creative at night. And I love the night. I'm in love with the night. You know, it's like my lover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I wake up in the morning and I go, oh, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I should go to the gym. I don't want to go to the gym because, of course, I, you know, so it's like, the the pendulum mm-hmm. you're gonna stay up at night you're gonna be tired in the morning you know even if you are creative and writing poetry so to accept yourself i'm talking to our listeners uh please please do this thing i'm gonna tell you write a thank you letter to yourself it's mm-hmm. gonna be so bold take a beautiful pen a nice piece of paper or a card and say dear ashley I want to thank you so much for how you showed up in your relationship, how you created this relationship with this man. I want to um, appreciate you how you were with your father. I want to appreciate how you're taking care of your health. I want to appreciate how you are showing up in finishing the book. Whatever it is, I want to appreciate that last night um, you didn't check your emails and your phones and you went to bed and read a book, the little things. I want to appreciate that you drank a lot of water today, mm. that um, you didn't feel like uh, driving and you took an Uber. Mm. I mean, whatever it is, mm-hmm. how the little things you do every day to take care of yourself and thank yourself because I guarantee you 90% of the time we take ourselves for granted. Yes, we so do. And I, 
I know that a lot of people get their motivation through being negative to themselves and that same fear that you're not going to do well is what motivates you. But I know that, you know, people like you, Agapi or me or, and so many who are listening to this, they're also motivated by inspiration and that creative pull versus the fear of something. So I know that one of the things you talk about in your keys to confidence is not waiting to be perfect before you take action. This is huge. People hear it all the time. Start before you're ready. But how do you know when it's time to start something based on your heart, your soul, and your creativity? There is an inner nudge, you know. And like, for example, I've been thinking of writing another book, and I have a proposal, and my my agent keeps saying, where is this? Finish the proposal. Finish the proposal. And um, it's not quite there, mm-hmm. you know, it's the energy is not quite there. So I write a little bit every day, but it, there is a certain organic process uh, where you have to be ruthless with yourself and just say, I want to start this project. I want to um, start a diet. Mm-hmm. I want to start exercising. I want to move into a new home, whatever it is. I want to move into a new city. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask someone out that I'm scared. Mm-hmm. And you go, I'm not ready. I don't look my best. Um, I'm not, I'll be rejected. So what? So be rejected. Mm-hmm. What's the big deal? We're all being rejected. I mean, let's just run a competition. Who's been rejected the most time? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? It's like there is not a human being in this planet Earth that has not been rejected and is not vulnerable. Yeah, we're all so unbelievably true. vulnerable, and what that's what gives me the confidence to. And listen, that's the other thing I want to tell you. There are many things that we don't know. For example, I'm working with my sister on Thrive Global, and I'm learning the presentation of uh, the training. And it's we have about in the in the training, which is ten to five. I'm sorry, nine to four or nine to five. There are about 152 slides, mm. and there is a script that goes with every slide. It's in science, it's, uh, it's facts, it's percentages, it's statistics, you know, and I'm much more of a free flow person. So I, as I was learning it, as a, I'm, when I'm presenting, I'm, I'm really great, and I have the confidence, but as I was learning it, I was learning, it was a learning curve. Mm-hmm. So as you're learning in a new relationship, as you're learning how to write a book, you've got to give yourself uh, the leeway, the leeway that there is going to be a time where you're not going to feel 100% confident and that's totally okay. Yeah. Who you are is in process. Who you are is who you are, but your learning process is in a curve. Yes. I love that you say and that's that. And that's where the ego struggles Mm. because the ego says oh i need to be perfect i need to know it i need to pretend i know it Mm -hmm. i need to um and then and then you feel like egg on your face because Mm -hmm. you don't know it i mean how many times have you been in a conversation or or something happens and you go you know i really don't know that or you pretend you know it and if you pretend you know it you're weakening yourself but if you say i have noted i don't have a clue about that I, for example, when it comes to, you know, all the modern things of social media, you know, I know some of the things. I'm, I have my Instagram and my Facebook, but 
And by the way, I love everybody to follow me. I put a lot of inspirational content. It's called Agape Seas, S-E-E-S. And, but I have an assistant here where I say, you know, Brandon, going to LinkedIn and, and post things for me. Uh, so I, there are a lot of things about technology that I'm not very good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, would you judge me? <laughs> <laughs> would you, I mean, if I honestly, if I said to you, seriously, you know, I'm not very good with computers. I'm, I'm, I'm very much better in dictating and writing that way. Would you judge me? Mm, mm. And it's like no, it's just not, no. Not you where say you're at. you say I think less of Agape. Yeah, because she's not very good at um, you know downloading stuff from Netflix. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but that's you how know, people little... think, and you know people get fired from their job and they think something's wrong with them. It's like no, that's just feedback. You were on the wrong path. Exactly, exactly. And then I, and I was, but pretending. I mean, I talked the other day, I was at a big company, a big company, I won't say the name, teaching and facilitating. And pretty much 90% of the people felt like imposters. Uh. And and that somebody's going to find out that they're not really doing a good job. Wow. (laughs) And they're amazing people. Yeah. So uh, all this stuff depletes, weakens you. And it has an effect on your, on your immune system and your health. Mm-hmm. So start, listen, I want to tell you all something. It is not this journey to become a bold, creative, inspiring, healthy, and happy human being is not for sissies. Mm. It's not, I mean, most people are disconnected and asleep. Mm-hmm. And they decided that they're not going to do any in their work. They're going to live on automatic day after day, or you can actually wake up every day and say, today I am going to claim the day. I'm going to claim myself. I'm going to do something that I've never done before. I am going to reach out to someone. I am going to open up my heart because what the hell, you know, I might go to bed tonight. I might die. Mm. I mean, just think about that because honestly, we don't have control of when we go and when we come. Mm-hmm. I mean, we in, in our souls we do. But on this physical world, every day, and I'm going to read you this amazing Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, write it on your heart that every day is the best day in the year. Mm-hmm. He is rich who owns the day, claims the day, and no one owns the day who allows it to be invaded with fret, anxiety, and worry. Mm. Finish every day. Be done with it. You have done what you could. Some blunders and absurdities, some mistakes, no doubt crept in. Forget them. As soon as you can, as you go to sleep. Tomorrow is a new day. Begin it well, serenely, lovingly, with too high a spirit, to be cumbered with your old nonsense. This new day is too dear with its hopes and invitations to waste a moment on the yesterdays. So beautiful. I feel like that's such a perfect place for us to end, Agapi. I'm so grateful for your time on this podcast. Oh, can we have a, can we have a, 
a, a, a podcast too. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like we have to do like a chapter two, another chapter. I mean, yeah, I would love so it. Much but I want to tell the listeners that in this book, Wake Up to the Joy of You, I have poured my wisdom, my life's lessons, and I have uh, 33, I have 52 meditations and practices, but I've recorded 33 meditations for all of you. Short, sweet, extraordinary. I listen to them myself to shift for every chapter, different themes. Mm-hmm. So I would, if you would like me to send you four meditations as my gift, you just email me at agapi, A-G-A-P-I, at unbindingtheheart.com, unbindingtheheart.com. And I just send me an email, says Agapi, I listened to your podcast with Ashley, I enjoyed it, and I want your meditation. I will send them to you, and then you can get the link, I'll send you the link to download them from iTunes or from Audible or from, because we all need um, little keys to to help us shift. Oh, I love you, Agapi. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to having a sleepover party with you soon. Uh, yes. <laughs> we should do so that. I, I want to send everybody as they listen to this with a blessing mm-hmm. of just, uh, this is the most powerful phrase I use all the time. Whenever I have anxiety, worry, concerns, uh, the future, negative thinking, um, tiredness, I say, I give this over to the spirit within and I go free. Mm. I give this over to the spirit within and I go free. And my friends, I want to convey to you with the depths of my heart and reach to the depths of your heart. Remember one thing, you are free. Mm. You are free. Claim your freedom. Do not put yourself in the straitjacket of your own thinking patterns and self-imposed limitations. Every time you do, hear my voice, hear your voice, hear your voice of wisdom say, put your name there, Ashley, you are free. You are free. Ashley, you are free. Can you tell me that to Ashley? Mm, agape, with my name. you are free <laughs> oh i love you it. are free yeah I love it. we came and in free the, and we'll leave free it's so funny the the way that we think we're not in the places we think we're not exactly and so when you, you uh, when you listen to this podcast and you hang up the next person you see i don't care where they are they might be at uh, the barista at a coffee shop or at a whole food or arrow one if you're in l.a uh or wherever you are, or in the street, look at somebody and say, hi, you're free. <laughs> mm. And see if that doesn't make you feel joyful. Mm. I love you, Agapi. Thank you again. Thank you, Ashley, darling. God bless. Thank you so much. Hey there, it's your girl Ashley Stahl here and I am reflecting on the episode with Agapi who is a dear friend and um, one of a few women in my life that I just really look up to and somehow manage to have sleepovers schedule with. (laughs) And one of the things that I've learned from her presence and her energy is that 
what it really means to embody joy. So I've been told often from friends that I have a lot of joy and I do think that's kind of my default setting. I think there's a difference between joy and happiness, you know, like I think happiness is fleeting and joy is like a state of being that people generally will have. And if you really tune into it, there's probably only so many people in your life that if you ask yourself, who do I know that lives in a state of joy, there'll be like a very few select name or two that will come to your mind is what I would assume. And I think that a lot of people do have happiness, but to be a joyful person that just looks for joy, sees joy. I mean, the ego and our mind is, is really, it's almost like it looks at the world as if it's a file cabinet. And if it's believing something bad about the world, it's shopping for bad things to prove itself. And if you're believing something good about the world, you're always shopping mentally to look for things that are good. And I think that's what joyful people are often doing. And what I got thinking about with Agape after just a recent dinner that we had was how we live in a culture of first chances and how Um, Even for me, I've created all of these job hunting courses and clarity courses. And one of the biggest things that I've had to admit to myself in creating these courses is that people, when they have a job interview, it really is just a first chance. And on one side, first chances are necessary because, and only chances are necessary because it optimizes our time and we have families and jobs and all sorts of different obligations that we care a lot about. On the other side, it's there's like this tightening in our culture as a result of this first impression mindset. And I think it's really damaging for all of us um, because ultimately it creates this tightness in ourselves where we go into this scarcity and when we meet somebody new or when we have a job interview, we go into this mindset that's so unkind to ourselves that is this scarce, lacking approach where we think like this is our one shot. I don't know if you've ever heard yourself saying, I only have one shot. And what I want to say about that is how damaging I think that is not just in our culture, but in our choices to talk to ourselves in that way. And yes, we want to do our best, but in a way, I think that we all have that little kid still living inside of us that we all were. And that's why when you go to yoga, they talk about inner child work. And I I think a lot about it, like, as if I'm talking to a little kid, like if I look at a little kid and I say, you only have one chance, it's like, what's going to happen? They're going to tense up. They're going to you know, constrict themselves, they're going to be scared. But if I look at them and I say, do your best, you know, that kid is going to thrive, whether it's a sports game they have, a test they need to take at school. And I kind of adopt that in how I talk to myself, being somebody that I would identify as usually really joyful and that that being my kind of default setting. Like, I do find that my ego is always shopping for inter, you know, funny things and how life is entertaining and positive. And it's not that I deny my sadness because you've probably heard me on this podcast feeling it, talking about it, processing it constantly. It's just that I don't push down my sadness. And as a result, joy is usually what's available because when the sadness comes, I let myself feel it. I don't put all that energy I could spend feeling it into suppressing it. I let myself feel it. And usually it passes quickly because as you've heard me say, you know, the body can somatically usually only hold strong feelings that cause tears or pain for like 10 minutes. So usually when things come up, I set myself aside and give myself that moment. And even if in the workday you're in a busy workplace, you could totally go to the bathroom and like stand there and be with yourself and feel your feelings if something is really coming up for you. And I feel like feeling my feelings has been a huge key to joy, but also just talking myself out of this culture of first chances and scarcity and first impressions. Um, and, and just deciding that I want to create a culture at the very least for the people in my life and for myself that accepts our humanity and that accepts the context of our lives and accepts the fact that 
not every day am I going to be on my A game. Not every day am I going to be at my best or giving my best first impression. You know, as a keynote speaker, I'm traveling all over the globe all the time, um, giving talks and, you know, I always give it my all. I think I do a good job, but I would always say some talks are going to be incredible. Others are just going to be good. I know what my best feels like. And I don't tell myself that I'm this robot that always has to be my best. I feel like that's such a hard relationship to have with yourself. It sets you up for failure and for disappointment. And um, I try to be real and give myself second chances, practice grace with myself. And that's my wish for you today after listening to Agape in this episode about joy. I hope this is insightful for you and helpful for you. It's something that I've been practicing with myself for a while. And um, I just can't thank those of you enough who are um, sharing these episodes, writing reviews, all of that makes this podcast get out there. And it's so special to me that you take the time to do that. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening, for sharing. And um, I can't wait to connect next episode. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.